Church, would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word? Megan, if you go ahead and come on up. Megan is going to read for us out of God's word, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 this morning. Megan? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Amen. Church, pray with me. Lord, we come now to your word and we recognize that it is a gift to us uh, that you've given to reveal yourself, your purposes, even to reveal to us who we truly are. And so, Lord, as we come into this moment, we cry out and ask for your help by your spirit to lead us into truth, to guide us into truth. Lord, I pray as I do every week, that the things that I speak would be your words, not mine. The Father, that I'm, if I'm in there, that that would, that that would simply be forgotten and, and would pass away. But Father, if these are your words more than me, by your Spirit, may they seed into our lives. May they, may they plant into our lives and grow up to bear fruit in your people, equipping us to do the work of ministry you've called us to do. And so, Father, please be with us this morning. Uh, we need you and pray that you would do a work in your people. Ask all these things in your name. Amen. So, you know that if you've been around here for the past couple of weeks, we stepped out of the book of Colossians to do some other things, to share some things that I felt like the Lord um, had been specifically laying upon my heart. Well, we're jumping back into the book of Colossians today, and so as we do that, I want to real quickly give a refresher as to where we've been, because it's been a while. Now, as we came into the book of Colossians, we recognize that this book is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Colossae. And it was written to those people, people he didn't even know, because the gospel had continued to move on into Mesopotamia and had continued to spread throughout uh, the first century world. And, and Paul was writing to them because of the fruit of the gospel that had continued to pr- produce through uh, just faithfulness. And his desire was that the people of Colossae would continue to be faithful and would continue to have the strength to endure a day in and day out so that that fruitfulness could continue. And we talked as we very started this series that we're here, that that which was so ancient so many years ago has brought about new things and continues to bring about new things because of continued fruitfulness to the gospel. And our desire is that that continues to happen in us. And so Paul's letter is to help form us in such a way where that fruitfulness can continue in the people of God. Now, specifically, we've been in this idea where Paul is talking about our condition, that we as the people of God are in Christ, that we were dead, we are now alive that we are united with Jesus and we have a new condition in our lives and that we've even died to some of the most basic 
elemental parts of who we are that desire to try to justify ourselves because we have trusted Jesus to be the only one who can justify us, who can make us right before God. And so we have been raised up with Jesus, and our life is with Jesus and is held with him there in heaven at the right hand of God. He is our life. And so we set our minds there with him, remembering that the condition that we have necessarily needs to lead to a different conduct. Remember a couple weeks ago, I gave us the analogy that if you had the condition of diabetes, that changes your conduct. It has to change your conduct or you're going to get sick, potentially even die. And so what Paul is saying is like, listen, this is who you are. This is the condition that you have now in Jesus. And I think that your conduct should change. Your conduct should shift. And we started that by talking about how we should positively set our minds upon that which is above but now, Paul gets into something a little bit more challenging, something a little bit more difficult, and he gives us another command, and it's another command specifically dealing with our conduct. And he gets pretty personal here, because he says, I want you to put to death, therefore, therefore what? Because of your condition, therefore put to death what is earthly in you. Paul is not being apologetic here. Like, it'd be nice if you said something along the lines of like, well, now that you're in Jesus, like whenever you get around to it, just go ahead and try to be a little bit better person or, hey, listen, this is a good idea if you do that at some point. No, Paul is getting really aggressive. He's saying, put it to death. This is an imperative, active command. Kill it. Remember last week I said that it's time for us to stop playing around. Like, this is the same kind of idea. Don't mess around with this stuff. Go to war with it. Go to battle with this stuff. Kill the sexual immorality that's in us, the impurity that's in us, the lustful passions that are in us, the evil desires that are in us, the covetousness, which is idolatry, that's in us. This is a basic if-then commandment. And anytime you have an if-then commandment, you can't hope to get the if part if you don't do the then part. If you want to make money, then get a job. You can't make money without a job. If you want to lose weight, then you need to change your eating habits and your exercise habits. You can't just lose weight by doing the same thing that you've always done. Like, if-then statements mean something. And Paul's saying, if you were with Christ, and if you've been raised up with Christ, then put to death what is earthly in you. This is what he expects of us. Now we're going to get into specifically kind of what this looks like in our lives in a little bit, but I want to kind of lay a foundation in two different things before we get into those specifics. First, when we're dealing with this command of conduct, we're dealing with very tangible actions. This is concrete stuff. This is not like stuff that's up in kind of the spiritual realm where it's kind of hard for us to grab. This is this is real actions in our day-to-day -day lives. If you call yourself a believer and you are living, thinking, or doing anything or walking in any way that is contrary to God's way of life, brothers and sisters, it is sin. And we should be at war with it. Like we should abhor it in our own lives. Not just kind of stand at a distance at it and kind of yell at it and and kind of lament it and then kind of hold it close to ourselves. 
or, or to publicly say that we hate these things and then relish it in the private, but to actually go to war with this stuff, to push against it. This is such an important thing for us. We're to hate these things. We're to want them dead. And there's three reasons why we want to have want the, these things dead. First, because Jesus died to deliver us from them. Jesus died to deliver us from them because of his love for us. He sees what this stuff does to us and in us, and so he wants to deliver us from it. Secondly, because it's killing us. And Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he wants to lead us into those things. And he says, like, that's not the way to go. This isn't just a law, or these things aren't just laws that he has put in place to take things from us, but they're laws that he's put into place to give life to us. Huge distinction. Thirdly, because the wrath of God is coming for these things. Wrath is a heavy word. And yet that's the word that Paul uses. Paul can't be clear about how God views these things in us, this, these actions in our lives. Wrath is coming against it. For all those who rebelliously continue to live in these ways, the wrath of God is coming how, how could we be content to have what is earthly continue to thrive in our lives? Like, that's an important question. And these are real tangible things that we deal with day in and day out. Secondly, and this will be encouraging, I think, to a lot of us, the second foundation we need to think about when we think about this command is that it is an impossible command for us to do. That's encouraging, isn't it? Here's a command you can't do. It's like me walking up to one of you in this space and being like, I, you need to fly to the moon. I, I can't fly to the moon. Like, I can't fly to the moon. No matter how much I command you to do it, like I can't do it. Even if I want to do it, I can't do it. That's a great command to be asking people. But that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's giving us a command that none of us in and of ourselves can do it. And here's what happens oftentimes when we hear an impossible command. One of two things I think happens a lot. One, you go, you know what? I actually can fly to the moon. If I spend enough money and I go through enough training and I call NASA up, they're going to let me go to the moon. And I know that if I just do enough stuff, like I can get there on my own and we can labor and strive and do all these different things to try to get to the moon by ourselves. The other thing that we can do that's a temptation for us is we look at that impossible command and say, I can't fly to the moon, so I'm just going to throw my hands up and not even make any efforts. And I think we can do the same thing when it comes to what Jesus or what Paul is calling us to do when it comes to putting to death these things because neither of those things is what we are actually called to do as the people of God. Yet, we know we can't do what Paul is asking us. This is evidenced texts like Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is not you who works in you to do these things. It's God who works in you, both to his will and to work for his good pleasure. So, right, you read this text, and maybe I, I hear that, and I was like, see, I can just sit back and relax and not do anything. No, absolutely not. You and I are commanded to partake in this effort, which begs, begs a huge question. And it's one that came up on our teaching team, and I thought it was such a good one. And it's this question, how much 
of this effort to put to death what is earthly in us is God, and how much of this effort is me? How much of the effort is God, and how much of this effort is me? Is it like 60-40? 30-70? Here's the answer. It's all God, and it's all you. Meaning, when I say all you, not meaning that you're the source for that, but you and I are called to fight, and to fight with everything that we have to put to death the things that are in us, knowing that while we fight and while we give effort, effort, God is also fighting with us, in us, through us, and for us. We're to give everything. So the impossible command is possible. We're to pursue it like an astronaut. Sorry, I keep going back to the moon thing, but I think it's valuable. We train, we steady, we do the anti-gravity things, and we get in the pool, and we do all the stuff that we need to do to try to engage and go to the moon. But sooner or later, you have to get into a shuttle that you didn't build, and you don't know how to run to some extent. And so it's all of us, and it's all of God. If you take either equation out of it, then we have a problem, and we don't have what God has called us to actually live in. This is what we are to do, to put to death what is earthly in us, and those physical things, those things that we deal with. And if this means that we're seeking obedience, then we also need to recognize, and if we need to do it with his help, that we need to do it in his way, not our own. Meaning this, if you're here in this space right now and you have a sin in your life that you fight and you struggle with and you keep fighting and you keep struggling and you keep failing, at some point you might ask the question, are you fighting in your ways or are you fighting in his ways? Are you fighting with his power or are you fighting with your power? Now, as we move on, and before we jump into what this looks like for us, we need to recognize what it is that we're actually trying to kill. These are the skeletons in your closet. Paul says this in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Brothers and sisters, this is in you. While these things are tangible actions, man, they are rooted down into our very nature, into our very core. They go so much deeper than just actions. They are a part of us. They are in us. They cling tightly to us. He goes on in verse 7 and he says this, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. See, here's the point of what Paul's saying is there was a point in your life, these things were so much in you that you actually found life in them. Now, it's not real life. It was an illusion of life, but you found life in them. We are defined by these things. We are dependent upon these things prior to Jesus. Like a fish living in water, swimming in water. It's both dependent upon the water and its entire existence is defined by the water. So is true with what is earthly in us. So often, we need to recognize that these things are so much a part of our existence. Like we don't even see them. We don't even notice that they're there. We might want to be obedient, but it's like, it's like looking through a lens. You don't see the lens, and yet it changes the view that you have of the world around you. 
You don't recognize the lens. You don't think of the lens. If you wear glasses, like you don't pay attention to the glasses. You just see through it. And what Paul is calling us to look at is actually look at the lens you're looking at or looking through. But this isn't natural for us. Things are so rooted into us. And God is calling us to change some of the most core components of who we are as people. Take idolatry. What is idolatry? Here it's represented by covetousness. But idolatry, idolatry is anything that is defined as something that you serve more than God. It's that thing that you have to have. You serve it, you worship it, you can't imagine life without it. Like you can't even imagine being a whole and complete person without that. You see that thing, that, that whatever it is as supreme, that's what makes it an idol. And man, it drives you. It will drive you out of fear of losing it. It will drive you out of the hope of gaining it. And the idol itself drives you. We all have them. C.S. Lewis talks about ours, and you've heard me say this many times, that we're, we're like idol factories. And we're always putting these things up before God. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes these things can be really, really hard to spot. In the movie Rocky, when Rocky is about to face Apollo Creed, and I know I, I gave a couple of boxing analogies a few weeks ago. I promise I won't do it all the time, but it fits really well. But in the movie Rocky, back in the 70s, when he's about to uh, face Apollo Creed, there's this scene in the movie where Rocky goes to the empty, empty stadium, and he's looking at the empty ring, and he's just silently walking around the ring, and he's, comp- he's just thinking, and he's pondering all that's about to take place. And in the movie, after that moment, he goes home to his wife, Adrian, and he goes into their crummy apartment in the Bronx, and he sits down and he begins to talk to her. And in his discussion and what he says, he's revealing his idol. He's revealing what's inside of him. And I want you to take a look at this clip from the movie Rocky. Get past the weird hair. Get past the slurring of, of, of Rocky Balboa. And, and look for the idol that is so present in his life. He doesn't even recognize that it's there. So take a look at this clip. You work so hard. Yeah, it don't matter. So there was nobody before. Don't say that. Oh, come on, Adrian, it's true. There was nobody. But that don't matter either, you know? Because I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either. So all I want to do is go to distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing. I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see. I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. So in that scene, do you see the idol? He doesn't care if he beats Creed. It's not about the love of the game of boxing for Rocky. What it's about for him 
is he believes that he's just a bum from the Bronx. And in his mind, if he can just go the distance with Creed, then he's going to prove to himself that he's not just a bum from the, from the Bronx, that he's somebody. He doesn't realize it, but that's what's made boxing his idol. And he can't get away from his idol because he can't get away from any other way to find value other than going the distance with Apollo Creed. It's literally rooted into him. He's defined by it. He lives it. He has to go the distance because he has to prove to himself that he's not a bum. And it's promising life. Man, like if you're just standing at the end of that match when the bell rings, like for the first time, you're going to know it. You're going to know that you're okay. But in the end, he's enslaved to it. Rocky's enslaved to it. You know why we know he's enslaved to it? Because there's six other movies. Right? So it enslaves us too, doesn't it? Right? But he's enslaved to it because as soon as Apollo Creed's out of the ring, then here comes Drago. And as soon as Drago's out of the ring, then here comes somebody else, always hoping, if I can just go the distance, that I can just finally prove to myself that I'm somebody. This is an idol, and he doesn't even realize it, and he's enslaved to it. Every single one of us that have an idol like it are enslaved to it just like Rocky. We all are. And God and Paul is telling us, like, put these things to death. And these things are so hard to spot in our lives because it's like we're swimming in them. And it isn't all idolatry. Sometimes it's the sexual immorality or the covetousness or passion or evil thoughts. Prior to our change in condition, this was all we saw. This is how we lived. And this is where we found life. And he has delivered us from it. And he's made us new. He's given us a new condition. And he's led us into something that promises new life. But to get there, we have to be about putting to death the old And we have to ask Christ to open our eyes to see those things we're enslaved to, to see those components of our life that we we, we don't even see in our own hearts so that we can then go about killing them. Now, just like there were two foundational things that we needed to build upon, thinking that these were tangible actions and this is an impossible can that we can only do through Christ, there's a couple things that we need to be mindful of in this regard before we move on to what it looks like. And the first one is this. Death is painful. Can you imagine Rocky laying boxing down? He can't. It's so much a part of him. It's the idea of not being defined by this idol is something that he can't even bear. And can you imagine if Rocky were to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to find his value in Jesus, not in boxing, and to lay that down, how hard that is? Like death is painful because it's in us. These things are in us, and we were living by them. They're not just simple, easy things to get away from. It's not just an act. These are things that grow out of our very nature. Your lusts are lusts because they give you pleasure, and you believe that if you get more of these things, then satisfaction is going to come. That's hard to put away. It's hard to believe something different. Your desire to be the skinniest girl or the buffest guy or the prettiest or the smarterest or any number of things, they're desires because you are wrapped up in them and you believe that there's life in them. It's not just that they're hard to see, 
But the reality it is, and I think this is the truth of it more often than not, when we do see them, oftentimes we simply don't want to lose them. We don't want to lose them. Because they're so much a part of who we've become. And that's the whole point Paul's saying, but that's not who you are anymore. Put it to death. Put it to death. John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is the principle Jesus is teaching? To see life, sometimes something has to die. And some of these things that we hold so closely to for us to truly be free of them and find life in them, we have to put them in the ground and watch them die. And death is painful. It won't be easy, brothers and sisters. It's a fight against an enemy that does not want to lay down and die. And anybody who fights your flesh, you know that. As long as you have it, you will fight it. The second thing that we need to remember is that we are to put them all away. All of them. Brothers and sisters, do we think that the wrath of God is only coming for homosexuals or impure or the drunken or the, those that are addicted to drugs or those who covet or those who are greedy? Is that what we think? It's interesting, Paul gives us two lists in this text. And he gives us one list, and if you read the list, it's very interesting. It appears to be the big things that we think about when it comes to sin, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. We would all say, ooh, those are bad. But then he gives you just another list later down the road. And look at this list. It's a different one. It's anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. It's almost as if Paul knows that we're going to go after the big things and think the little things are okay. In other words, we're going to think, man, there's the unrespectable sins and there's the respectable sins that we can all just be okay with. Because here's the thing, I read this text and I, we, we, a lot of us could say like, I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted, I'm not a drunk, I don't go out and hang out with prostitutes, like I don't do any of that stuff, and so I must be fine. Have you also put away your anger? Are you an angry person? Are you easily enraged at the slightest thing that someone does that isn't in line with what you think it should be? Are you wrathful? Do you love to dish out punishment to other people? We can be so tempted to call things like anger or obscene talk as just minor infractions. They're just not that big of a deal. Brothers and sisters, there is no such thing as respectable sins. They all need to die if they're in us. And so much of the church, we can say, look, like, we're not sexually immoral and, we don't, immoral and we don't do this. And yet in the church, we are full of enmity and strife and division and anger and wrath and slander and obscene talk. And we look just like the rest of the world when it comes to those things because those are the small things. Here's what that means for us. Our job is never done. Our work is never done. If obscene talk is part of your life, that is just a much, as much evidence of your old self and your old way of living as pornography and greed. 
If you think it's okay for you to to drop the F word in anger to your kids in your car on the way to church and then use that same mouth to praise Jesus, I want to remind you that the wrath of God is coming for that obscene talk, just like the wrath of God is coming for homosexuality and sexual immorality and all the other things as well. God's wrath is coming. And if we are alive in Christ, we need to act like we are alive in Christ, seeking to put these things to death, that we might walk as the new creations that he's made us to be. Now, prayerfully hoping and seeing, praying that we see this and that we have a conviction and we truly all desire to have our conduct match our condition, where we all have this desire to actually want to see these things be put to death in our life, that we want to experience freedom and life and the presence of God, what does death look like? What is the look of death? We all know what physical death looks like, but what does it look like to be putting to death these things in our life? Because we talk about this and we can go like, I don't really know what that is and I don't really know how to go about it. And I could give you a list of tools, things like prayer and Bible memorization and removing these things and removing this things. And I think those are good, but I wanna go deeper. I wanna get beyond that. And I wanna actually think about what does it look like to put these things to death in the life of a believer? It looks like seeing your old self and seeing that it is under the wrath of God and pleading with the Lord, Lord, replace that with a renewed me, one that is in the image of my creator, one that is in the image of Jesus, and then us doing everything in our power and the power that he has given to us to fight, to keep from walking in those things. So I think what happens for us a lot of times is we think we can come to at least to believe that we can just stop doing these things. And truth be told, for many of us, that's simply not the case, and it's simply not that easy. We fail to mention that as long as the flesh is here, some of these things are going to continue to haunt us. As long as we are in the flesh. Some of these things are literally part of life for us. Think about lust. Like, we're made to be attracted to the opposite sex. And so you can't just stop that. But what sin does is it takes something that we were made for and it twists it and it distorts it and it makes it evil and it bad and it enslaves us to it. Some people may have a food addiction. Well, you can't just stop eating, Right? But like, you can't just stop eating. You gotta continue to ingest those things. And so how in the world can I deal with my food addiction while I'm still eating? Some would struggle with vanity. But you still need to live a healthy life. You don't wanna just abandon that. Some of you may struggle with pride. Well, you still have to work and you have to work hard and you're gonna succeed in some things and people are gonna celebrate that. And so you can't just stop doing good things. Like these things are so wrapped up in our day in and day out life. This is the point that Paul is trying to make. You struggle with anger? Anger's not bad. God is angry at times. You're going to get angry at times. You can't just say, I'm never going to be angry again. 
We are always battling good desires that because of sin in us want to spiral out of control and own us. And so here's the question. What does death look like? Death looks like a fight. It's a fight. Every day, day in and day out, it's a fight. Like Rocky going the distance. Knowing, man, if I just make it to the end of the fight, victory over this thing is going to be won. But until then, sometimes... Like, here's the thing, and if you fought any component of your old life and the earth, what is earthly in you, then there's times that you'll throw a great right hook, and then there's times you're going to take it right to the chin. There's time you're going to beat that thing down, and it's going to fall on the ground, whatever it is in the ring, and there's time you're going to take it right in the face, and you're going to land on your face in the ring. The difference is, and the point is, is that because of the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, because it is sufficient, we get back up and we keep fighting. We keep fighting. I'm never going to be able to get out of the ring while I'm in this body. Church, if you look at me or David Mann or We Merritt or Tori DeHillig or Tina Nickel and, and you think, man, they, they got it all together. I mean, if I could just get like, like them, like you don't want to be just like us. We're still fighting in the ring too. We still have our lusts and our prides and our angers and our, our, our tongue that's like a spark that can light a fire. Like we deal with all of the same things that you do. And we all have to just keep fighting. I'm never going to get out of the ring. I love verse 10 of what Paul tells us. He says, put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of, its, of the image of its creator. You know what my favorite word in that whole part is? Which is being renewed. Don't miss that. This is a process. It doesn't say you were made, you were renewed. It's being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Being. It's a process of renewal every single day. Some days I have really good days. Other days I have really bad days. But I always want to fall upon the grace of Jesus and get back up and swing again, knowing that I'm secure because my life is hidden with him. Amen? And so often we find shame in the fight. Brothers and sisters, if you're fighting, praise God there is no shame in your fight. There's no shame in the fight. That you're fighting means the Spirit of God is doing something in you. So praise God for the fight and keep fighting. And don't always be looking for the knockout punch that's going to end it. Listen, I truly and genuinely believe that there are times that God fully renews people and delivers them out of a sin and they find complete, utter victory never to struggle with something like that again. But guess what? The second that that fight is over, something else is getting right back in the ring. And if you think there's ever going to be a moment that you can stop that fight, man, like, I promise you, there's going to be a brand new fighter in the ring ready to go after you. And that thing, whatever it is, doesn't care that you're tired and you're bloodied and you just wanted rest for a little bit. You got to start fighting again. And so the Christian walk, now this is what it is for us, like, right? We, we, we get in the ring and we swing and we fight and we dodge and we hit and we go and we move. And if you're like me, sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, like why is there seven other fighters in the ring coming at me at the same time? And so I like go all matrix and I start, no wait, I don't, probably shouldn't have gone there, but anyway, I started going off script. 
Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like you feel like it's, there's so many other people coming at me or so many other sins and this earthly stuff that's there. It's, it's so deep in me. Like how do I keep fighting? Brothers and sisters, you keep fighting. And here's the other component of what it looks like is it looks like togetherness. And this is so important. If you think that you can fight in that ring alone, you're wrong. And the Lord didn't intend you to fight alone. We're to fight it together. Not in shame, but to, to say, like, we're all in this together. It's why Paul says at the end of this text that this is Christ in all and, and in, uh, Christ is all and in all. He's unifying. Listen, this isn't some dysfunctional view of authenticity where we sit around a table and make each other feel good about our shared sin. That's not what this is. Nor is it a disparaging judgment where you sit across the table from a brother or a sister and they point at you and they go, why'd you do that again? Why can't you just stop it? You know what it looks like? It's living closely enough with people that you come to know and they look at you and they look at your struggle, whatever it is, maybe it's obscene talk and they say, and you come to them and you say, man, I slipped up again and I, I, just, I just went with it because it felt good because I didn't want to be outside of the crowd I just didn't, I just don't get it. Why do I struggle so much with this stuff? It's to have that person say, man, I'm glad that you hate it. And I'm glad that you continue to fight. It's having that person encourage you in the progress that you've made to know you and be able to say like, hey man, I know you just failed, but I remember when you failed a lot more. And I remember, and I can see the work that Jesus is doing in you, and so don't give up because he's going to continue to do that work, which, by the way, means that you need to know some people for extended periods of time. Because you know what? There's people that know me long enough to know that five years ago I was a totally different person than I am today, and sometimes I need them to encourage me because I feel like that fight is going really slow. And I sometimes can struggle to see the changes day in and day out. And so you need to be in fellowship with other people and have them encouraging you, encouraging you when you fail, to trust in Jesus, to trust in his grace, to trust in his blood and his love for you, that he is the one who has made you a new creation. Someone who can say, man, he's going to do and finish what he started in you. So keep swinging. Keep swinging. I'll pray for you. Sometimes it looks like a brother or sister actually calling you out and challenging you because you're setting yourself up for failure, because you're walking in a way that they know and you know is not right. Finally, it looks like life. So death looks like a fight. Death looks, death looks like it's done together. And death looks like life. Every moment that we walk out from underneath the tyranny of our old self is life-giving, joyful, peaceful, and beautiful. Jesus knows what he's doing, and it is so good. And so here's what I know. Maybe you've been sober for 100 days. Well, if you have, you know how much better 100 feels than 50. Maybe you haven't turned that computer on for 50 days. If that's the case, you know so much more how 50 is better than 10. Because the longer you walk, 
The longer you fight, the longer that you find life, the more peace and joy and satisfaction and the more freedom you find from that very thing that used to enslave you. The tireder and tireder and weaker and weaker your flesh becomes and the stronger the Spirit of God becomes in us. And so it doesn't matter what you're fighting. You keep going because it looks like life the longer you're away from those things. Freedom will come. Freedom will come will come. It will come. You you may not ever feel a complete release from those things, but the more you fight, the more freedom you will find, and one day you will stand in the presence of the king with a new body and a new flesh that bears none of these stains, and you will be free for all time. So keep fighting. For the sake of life and keep fighting for the sake of the presence of God in your life. Keep fighting for the glory of God in your life. Brothers and sisters, keep fighting and do what Paul has called us to do. If you were raised with Christ, therefore then put to death what is earthly in you. Not just the big sins, but the little ones too, brothers and sisters. And let's do it together. So simply leave us with these questions. Are you putting to death what is earthly in you? All of it. Are there sins in your life that you're okay with? That you say, I'm fine with these. Are you fearful of the wrath of God? Maybe you should be. Maybe maybe you should be. If you're not in Jesus Christ, if you have not found salvation in him and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you should be fearful of the wrath of God. If you are okay with sin, meaning you just don't care and you just don't feel the need for it and you feel like, you know what, I'm just going to keep living the way that I want to live and yet you call yourself a believer, I would, I would press you to challenge that reality. Because the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. The flesh and the spirit conflict with one another. And if there is no conflicting in you, I know you're not rid of your flesh yet. None of us are. Scripture says very clearly, none of us are without sin. And so if there's no conflict in you, and you're not rid of your flesh, it only leads one other thing that may not be there. And I'm not... I'm only saying that because I don't want any of us to walk in a false belief that we have salvation when the Spirit of God is not bearing witness in our lives. Is the Spirit there? Is He leading you forward? Do you have things that you need to put to death this morning? I'm going to ask Ryan and the team to come out. And I want to just invite us as we sing, as we prepare our hearts for communion. Now, when we get done with singing, we're going to go into a time of communion. And as we go into this time of communion, of the the Lord's Supper, we are called to examine ourselves. We're called to examine our hearts. And if we have things against a brother, we're to to go to that brother. If we have sins in our own lives that we haven't laid before the Lord, we're to lay those things down before the Lord before we come to the table. That's why we do communion at the end of service, so that we have a chance to hear from the Word of God and respond to it. 
and respond sometimes in a way that causes us to repent and to confess. And so this morning as I've talked, if the Spirit of God has laid upon your heart a conviction that you have things that are in you, that you have yet to put to death, that you need to repent of, that you need to lay down before the Lord, I would challenge you, I would encourage you, I would plead with you to do that this morning. And as we sing this song, like we're going to have pastors and elders and counsel, prayer counselors up here at the front to, to talk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you. Because remember, you're not supposed to do it alone. And I want to invite you to come up during this song. If you want to, as, you, as we sing, you just want to bow your head and close your eyes and pray to the Lord, you can do that. If you want to come talk to one of our, our prayer counselors, you can do that. If you want to get on your knees, you can do that. If you don't know Christ and you want to lay your life down before him so that you can find freedom, so you don't have to fear the wrath of God, this is an opportunity for you to come and to talk and begin walking life together with other people who are just in the same fight you are. We're no better. Let's just be really clear. You may think you're worse. You're not. The only difference between you and me I'm saved. I have the righteousness of Christ because of faith. That's it. And that's available to you. But when it comes to brokenness, we're all the same. And so I'm going to pray and then I invite you to stand and to respond. And then we're going to go into communion after that. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And I thank you that Paul isn't shy from commanding us to do something that in some spaces we've talked about today, we can't really even do. And so I pray in accordance with that, that your spirit would open our eyes to areas of our life that we have yet to surrender. Areas of our life that we just, we don't want to die to. Maybe we're terrified to die to them. Maybe the truth is we know they're there, but we just don't want to lose them yet. Or maybe we're fighting in our own way and we're not fighting in the ways that you've called us to. And so maybe we're fighting alone. Whatever the reason is, Lord, I want to pray that your spirit would, would lead us to see what needs to be put to death in us. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would give us a fighting spirit to go after those things that we might live the life of godliness and we might find freedom and joy and peace the way you've called us to in this life. I pray, Father, for those that don't know you. May they hear this text and may your wrath be something that begins to stir in them towards wisdom and towards a desire to cry out for help and for love and mercy and grace, and Lord, knowing that you would be there. And so, Lord, as we sing, I just pray that you would call our hearts, that you would lead our hearts to respond. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.